Now, I say that our sermon text this evening is Luke chapter 1, and it's sort of verses 67 to 80, Zechariah's prophesy or Zechariah's song, often called the Benedictus, but I don't think that it's going to be the only sermon that we get from this text. I'm fairly certain that it's not. When I, when I say we're looking at verses 67 to 80, um, don't get too optimistic. Don't think that I'm going to manage to cover that much text in one afternoon sermon. <laughs> okay, um, before we read the text, we'll pray. Please join me in prayer. Father in heaven, as we have read, your word stands forever and your word goes forth from you to accomplish the purpose for which you sent it and that it does not return to you empty. And so, Father, we pray that here among us this day, your word would do its work, that we who are in Christ would be strengthened thereby and made more like the Lord Jesus Christ, and that if there be any here who are not in Christ, that they indeed would be called to faith and repentance, Father, that they would be made a member of the body. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 1, starting our reading at verse 67, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. And his father, now this is speaking now, the father of John the Baptist, who, whose birth and circumcision and naming was covered last week. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Amen. And may God bless that word to us. From the time that the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah in the temple when he was there to intercede for his nation until this moment, I can't help but think that he was on what would at least to himself be a very unusual roller coaster ride. An angel appears and speaks to him and promises him that in his old age, in his wife's old age, he will be given a son. The angel says to him that that for which he was praying has been granted. Now, as a priest interceding for the nation, he was praying, at least partly, for the salvation of Israel, for God to restore the kingdom to David. He was praying for the coming of the Messiah. When told that he was to father a son named John, he seems to have struggled to believe it. Though we're told that he was a just man and a man of faith, yet his faith was tested and at that moment his faith faltered. He spoke unwisely and was given a sign. He wanted a sign. After all, 
People in the Old Testament, when they had a problem, they asked for a sign. When, when Gideon found it hard to believe that God was going to deliver Israel by his hand, he asked, for example, for signs. One night, he wanted the ground to be wet and the skin of the sheep to be dry. And the next night, he wanted the skin of the sheep to be wet and the ground to be dry. He asked for signs. Zechariah gets a sign. He's struck silent. I can't help but imagine that until that moment in his life, nothing terribly unusual had happened to Zechariah and that he would have been one of the most consistent priests in the whole priesthood. He did nothing unusual. He did not step out of line. He did nothing that was not according to the traditions as he had been taught them. He was just one of those men going about their business, not not, um, claiming for himself any great honour. Now he's struck silent and struck deaf. He's speaking by signs and speaking by writing things down and when people want to communicate with him, they have to play the game charades to help him understand what it is that they're saying. And in his old age and in her old age, Elizabeth does conceive. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit when visited by Mary because within the womb of Mary is the Saviour, the Lord Jesus. And the babe within her womb leapt in her womb. He also knew that he was in the presence of his Saviour, even before he was born. So many unusual things are happening. Elizabeth comes to the day when she gives birth to a son and the son is to be named John, to be circumcised on the eighth day and that name is not known in the family. It's not a, it's not a name that the family often uses. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but my middle name you've probably noticed is Murray. Most of you know me well enough to know that. Guess what? The oldest son in my family, going back through quite a number of generations until you get to a man called Murray himself, Guess what? That's the, middle, that's the middle name of the oldest son in my family, going back through the generations. I'm Scott Murray Clements. My father was Harold Murray Clements. My grandfather was Cyril Murray Clements. And back it goes. The babe gets a name that is not a traditional family name. John. And when they challenge Elizabeth, she says he's to be called John. And when they double check with Zechariah to make sure that this uh, old woman hasn't gone slightly batty in her old age. You're sure she's got it right, mate? He asks for a writing tablet and he writes almost defiantly and certainly definitely, his name is John. And at verse 64 of chapter 1, we're told that his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And tonight we're starting to look at that which he said, starting from verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. This is another unusual thing. Somehow or other, I don't think that this experience was a regular experience in the life of Zechariah. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, to prophesy, to sing. This was delivered as a song. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. 
and so on. He sung. He rejoiced. He prophesied. And I just simply want us to consider today, in the main, the significance of what was said where the scripture tells us that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. There are many today who would tell you that prophecy is something unusual. They would tell you that you can get words of prophecy in the church even today. And I know people, and Lisa and I actually in the last week we had a conversation with somebody who told us that she had heard a word of prophecy. Now, here's the thing. Why would you want to hear anything that's not in agreement and based upon the word of God? Furthermore, if that which you hear is not in agreement and based upon the word of God, you know it's not from God. So what's the use of it and what's the need? If it's already written, if God has already spoken, what would be the need to give somebody a gift of prophetic utterance? And if it's not already written and therefore in full accordance with the word of God, what would be the need or why would we believe the word is given? It's kind of a pointless waste of time. Christians, understand this. The most profitable use of your time for spiritual growth and spiritual knowledge is deep immersion in the word of God. Keep going back to it. Keep going deeper and deeper into it. Keep studying the word of God. You see, in a way, in a manner of speaking, just like the Song of Mary, the Song of Zechariah is simply a drawing together of a deep knowledge of the scriptures that Zechariah already had. He's, he's drawn together an almost a menage, is that the right word, of scriptures about this moment. This is a man who has spent much time studying the word of God and he prophesies according to his study of the word of God. If, if you want to have that moment of harvest, that moment of blessed speaking, my friends, it's kind of like you've got to fill the storehouse beforehand. You can't give away what you haven't got. You know, if, if you are um, in desperate need, say, of money, Let's just say, you know, a, a difficult providence has befallen you and all has gone wrong and you desperately need money. You don't go and ask it of the homeless man sitting with his blanket at the street corner, do you? You go and you speak to people, you know, they have a job, they appear to have their life in order. You speak to people whom you would expect might be able to help you in your need. Well, if you want to speak, as it were, like Zechariah speaks, fill the storehouse with the word of God. I, I stress this so many times and I keep stressing it and I speak as much to myself as to anyone here. The only way to do this is constant disciplined repetition. You should have a disciplined, regular Bible study practice. 
Now, it's not for me to tell you that you must read a certain amount every day. And it's not for me to tell you that you must follow a certain Bible reading program. There are many programs out there and they are good. But what you should be doing day by day throughout your life is studying the amount of scripture that is useful to you and according to your abilities. I know Christians who honestly do not read very well. And for them to read more than about a paragraph at a time is kind of a waste of time because once they get past that paragraph, well, it sort of starts to become a word salad to them and their eyes skip from thing to thing and they find it very hard to follow what they're reading. And if you want to use the phrase academic, their academic ability limits them to pretty much just a paragraph. But my friends, they've been reading their paragraph once or twice a day, every day, all of their lives. And they've gotten through the Bible many times in that time. And their growth in the Lord is not lacking. Their growth in grace and faith and Christ-likeness is not lacking. It's not amount. It's persistence. It's self-discipline. It's seeking to understand that which you are reading and to interpret that which you read in accordance with other scriptures. If you want to do these things, you've got to discipline yourself into them. Set yourself a daily pattern and follow it. When someone is filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesy, they can speak according to Scripture. And in their speaking, they understand and apply Scripture. That's important. Apply. What do I mean by apply? They obey. They bring it to bear on their personal lives. They don't um, consider the scripture to be some kind of airy-fairy, up-there sort of thing, you know, this higher thought pattern. It's, a, it's something that's so peaceful and loving there in the back of my mind. But when I'm not reading it, well, then I've just got to get on with life in the world the way the world is. No. Filled with the Holy Spirit, people understand and apply. They obey. That which they read dominates that which they do. What would be the difference between a Christian who is somewhat mature in faith and a Christian who is somewhat immature in faith? I would say one of the big differences is the willingness to obey what they understand in the word of God. I can speak of another person that I know. I believe this person's a Christian. I also believe they are a somewhat immature Christian. And in recent times, they've made what I would call a disobedient and somewhat immature decision in their life. I'm not saying they're not a Christian. But I'm saying that which tells me that they are immature is that though the scriptures were before them, instead of looking for ways to obey the word, they made the mistake of looking for ways to try and tell themselves that this particular word does not apply to me. Immaturity. That's Christian immaturity. We want to grow in maturity. We want the word to apply to us. Think of all that Zechariah has learned in his time of silence. 
I mean, this is a man of faith now. This is a man who speaks by the power of God's Holy Spirit now. This is a man who understands the scripture now. Give him a second run around with the angel Gabriel bringing him the gospel from heaven and see if he asks a silly question with an unbelieving tone of voice. I doubt that he would. He's grown. When people are speaking in a way that is filled with the Holy Spirit or that is inspired by being filled with the Holy Spirit, they speak not of man, they speak not of the accomplishments nor the ability of man, they speak of the accomplishments and the power of God. His son has just been circumcised. His only son, he has honestly no hope of any other, the son that he never thought he would have. Does he speak of his son? Well, he does eventually, but very little. In the first instance, he speaks of the Lord God of Israel, who has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Notice his manner of speaking. It's filled with faith. He has visited and redeemed his people. Now we know from the remainder of Zechariah's song that he understands that John is not the saviour, John is not the Messiah, that the Messiah is to come and that the Messiah has work to do. But notice how Zechariah speaks of this. It's accomplished. God has visited. God has redeemed. Even though he knows that it's to happen in the future, he speaks full of faith that it has been done already. This is a man believing the promises of God. He knows that the child will be the one that goes before the Lord, saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight the highways. Lift up the low places. Cast down the high places. Prepare the way. But he speaks as though it's been done. As a Christian speaks of salvation, and as I pointed out this morning, and I'm not afraid to point it out again this evening, we speak of salvation as having been done, completed. Yes, I am saved. Yes, I have eternal life. And we know that our life is not finished in this world. We know that for the remainder of our days, we're totally and utterly reliant upon the grace of God to be maintained in our faith, to be maintained in our holy hope. Even so, we've got the promises of God. We've got the promises of our Lord Jesus himself. He's our good shepherd and he will not lose a sheep. And he holds us in his hand as though we were the weakest of lambs. And that hand is held in the Father's hand. Our salvation is accomplished. And our, our salvation is happening now. And it will be finished. And yet in a way, because it's the promise of God, it is completely done and it's finished. So Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks scriptural references, knowledge built up over the years, knowledge built up from consistent and persistent Bible study. He understands and applies scripture. He gets the big picture from scripture. And he speaks to the glory of God, not about man, not about mankind, not what man will do but about God, what God will do and what God has accomplished. And he speaks concerning the promises of God as though they are the most certain things in all the world because that's what they are. 
They're more firm than the ground upon which we stand. They're more firm than the walls that surround us and the earth. These are the promises of God. These are the things that we as God's people can build our lives upon, build our hope upon, build our families upon. And so we see in Scripture, if you turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, that we're told, we'll start reading at verse 15 in Ephesians chapter 5, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The commandment, be filled with the spirit. Be filled with God's Holy Spirit. You say to yourself, can I um, make that happen? Is it up to me in a way? No, you can't make that happen. And no, it's not up to you. The Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit, and we don't boss him around. We don't get to give him orders. But turn now to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And read what the Apostle Paul has to say at verse 20 and onwards. Let's start. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honourable use, some for dishonourable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonourable, he will be a vessel for honourable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord for a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Go back to verse 20 and think of what Paul's saying. In a great house, there are vessels of gold and silver and also wood and clay. Gold and silver have one kind of use and the others have another kind of use. They're dishonourable. What does he mean by dishonourable? Well, he, he means you sort of use them for things that um, are not so impressive. You know, we're speaking of a time when households did not have flushing toilets. They have a dishonourable use. They uh, sit undercover in the corner of the bedroom at night. And I hope you're getting the idea of what that dishonourable use might be. In the morning, you take them somewhere else and empty them, keeping your house clean. They have a dishonourable use. Notice what Paul says. Verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Verse 21. If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonourable, he will be a vessel for honourable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. We don't get to command God's Holy Spirit to come to us. We don't get to command God the Holy Spirit to fill us. But here's the thing, my friends. When we who are the people of God hear the word of God, 
we act in obedience to the word of God. We would therefore, upon hearing this scripture, seek to cleanse our lives of evil. We would be made repentant. We would turn from our sins and our wicked ways. We would flee youthful passions. Why? Well, wouldn't it be good to be a vessel for honourable use? A vessel of gold and silver rather than one of those hidden vessels that gets emptied far away from the house every morning? One of those dishonourable vessels? The secret to spiritual life, the secret to being filled with God's Holy Spirit is to be repentant of that which is dishonourable in the sight of God. It's to be convicted of your sins. It's to be willing to be cleansed. Jesus did say that he would give the Holy Spirit to all who held fast to him. It's the promise of God once again, and that should inspire us to seek to be obedient and faithful. Now, considering that which we read in Ephesians chapter 5, and I think perhaps I should just refresh that in your mind once more, Ephesians 5 and We'll start at verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. How many of you are aware off the top of your head of this uh, this passage's um, parallel passage in the New Testament and what it says? We've looked at it in a previous series. Turn to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Now, Paul has said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. At Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul puts it this way. Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, there's a parallel there. They're not word the word, the word for word the same, are they? In Ephesians chapter 5, we're told that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit and that in being filled with the Holy Spirit, we will admonish one another, encourage one another in wisdom with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And now in Colossians chapter 3, we're told to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You say, what is the word of Christ? Is it only those parts of the Bible that speak about Jesus? Well, in a way, that's true, because when you understand the scripture in the way that Jesus taught us to understand the scripture, you know that all scripture speaks about Jesus, all of scripture. He's the blessed man who fulfills the law of God. He's the spotless lamb. He is the um, ram caught in the thicket that rescued Isaac from Abraham's knife. He is the saviour. He is the one that stomps the serpent's head. That's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He's the saviour promised in all of the prophets. Let the word of Christ. Where do we find the word of Christ? We find it in the scripture. This is the word of Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, this is the word of Christ. In the beginning, God created. What do we find in the Gospel of John at chapter 1? Through him, all things were created. Without him was not anything made that was made. Christ created. 
according to the will of God the Father. We read right through to the book of Revelation and what's the book of Revelation? Well, its full title is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It reveals to us more about Jesus than we ever would have known if we did not have that book. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What was Zechariah doing? Your Bibles should have his uh, prophecy set out as song or poetry. He would have been singing. He would have been singing, most likely singing to some um, very familiar to himself and those around him, Hebrew folkish type tune. Singing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing with full reference to the scriptures. I remember a friend of one of our sons came to church once. This was a good few years ago, long, you know, probably not getting to 20 years, but 15 or 16 years ago. He came to church and afterwards he just said to me, he said, why do you people sing so much? He'd never been in a church service before. He'd never heard people stand and sing before. Why do you people sing so much? Well, we're commanded to sing and we love to sing and we have a reason to sing. God created mankind with a voice. God created mankind knowing music and loving music. God gave us words. God gave us language. God made us the way we are. And the ultimate use of that which he has made us to be is to give him the glory. We weren't made to glorify ourselves. And, you know, some love songs can be nice, but honestly, when you start to look pretty closely at their lyrics, they all get a bit mushy and a bit super sweet and you sort of, enough of that. You, you know, you can't take a love song too seriously. I don't know if you feel the same way as I do, but when you really start to think about what the love song is saying, you really, you really can't take it too seriously. Though they sound nice. And some songs, you know, they seem to be a little bit encouraging and they can make you happy. I can, I can remember um, the victory song that a particular football team I played in used to sing. It goes to the same tune as Waltzing Matilda, but the lyrics are childish and silly and boastful. But we sung every time we had a win, we'd gather in a circle in the dressing shed and sing this silly song. But God has given us voices to sing to his glory to sing to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, to sing about that which the Lord Jesus does, to sing about that which the Lord Jesus has accomplished, to sing about the Lord Jesus himself. This is a gift from God, this singing. This is actually people using their voices and their musical ability for the very reason that God has given it. I want you to notice something. You've heard the phrase from the book of Isaiah, I'm sure, of the servant songs of Isaiah, the four servant songs, and the ultimate one is found in Isaiah 52 through to the end of Isaiah 53. Let's just have a look at something. Follow with me through the scriptures. Turn to the first servant song. You find that as Isaiah chapter 42. 
starting at verse 1, Isaiah 42, verse 1. This is what's called the first servant song. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. Verse 10, sing a new Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. What is the response that God requires from his people at the declaration of the work of his servant? Verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 10. Sing a new song, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. Sing to the Lord a new song. Look at the second servant song. We find that one in Isaiah chapter 49. I'm going to start reading from verse 1 again. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, and from the body of my mother he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow, and his quiver he In his quiver he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have laboured in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favour, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to, to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, to bring saying to the prisoners, come out and to those who are in darkness appear. They shall feed along the ways on all bare heights shall shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them, for he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. 
For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. The servant is pronounced. The servant is proclaimed, I should say. And what's the response required by God? Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. The next chapter, Isaiah chapter 50, is the third song. We're going to read from verse 4. Isaiah 50, verse 4. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. But who will, de- sorry, who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. On to verse chapter 51. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places. And he makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving and the voice of song. Once again, the servant is proclaimed. The mission of the servant is set before us. God delights in the work of his servant. And what happens? The people of God sing. Let's look at the final one, starting in Isaiah chapter 52. 52, 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely, He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him for that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was desired and rejected by, I'm sorry, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. 
We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for transgressors. Isaiah 54 verse 1. Sing, O barren one, who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labour. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Each servant's song is followed with either the command or the description of the people of God singing with joy at the proclamation of the salvation that God intends to accomplish. The people of God respond to the works of God singing. And so we're told, let the Holy Spirit fill you. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what are we told are the signs of these things. We encourage and admonish one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Music that gives praise to God, my friends. We sing the praises of God. We don't take glory to ourselves. We give glory to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Bringing this all back to what we've started to study in Luke chapter 1 and the song of Zechariah, often called the Benedictus, the good word, the good thing that he said. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, prophesied, singing, he sung and being filled with the Holy Spirit, he sung a song that was filled with scripture references that understood and applied scripture and spoke not of man, but of God and the things that God has and will accomplish. My friends, I pray that we, the people of God, are filled again and again and again with the Holy Spirit that from in our midst will flow streams of living water. And just part of the evidence of that will be that we sing joyfully concerning the salvation that God has accomplished, that we love psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. We love the words of God that come from God, that he's given to us, that we can sing back to him. My friends, when the church doesn't meet and when the people don't gather together 
And when for whatever reason they choose not to sing. And as you know, there are certain, um, let's call them ordinances, out there in the world at the moment saying that we should not sing and that you should sit and listen to someone else sing because apparently somehow or other that's safe and somehow or other that will save you from your own stupidity. Whatever. Whatever. Okay? In the making up of rules and regulations, there seems to be no end. Solomon in the book of in, in Ecclesiastes said of the writing of many books, there is no end. Well, they are making up so many rules and regulations that they fill books and there seems to be no end of it. Whatever. We're the people of God. Tonight we close singing Psalm 145. I'll be extol my God, O King, and bless thy name always. It's not all that different to what Zechariah was singing. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. My friends, let us pray that we're filled with God's Holy Spirit and let us remember to separate ourselves from that which is dishonourable and let us remember that we were given voice to sing the praises of God. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do give you our thanks and our praise that you have accomplished the salvation which is worthy of us exercising our voices and singing of your goodness and your glory and your mercy and singing about the Lord Jesus Christ and all the wonderful things that he has done for sinners like us. Our Father, we pray that you would bless our worship, that we would worship in spirit and in truth. And Father, we pray that you would fill us again with your Holy Spirit and that we would be your obedient servants and that from within our midst would flow streams of living water. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.